You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Welcome back to the Elevator's Cut. I'm Jason Wheeler. I'm Roger Gaddis. And we are glad to have you back. We have a a pretty exciting topic for today. It's one that is near and dear to our hearts, for sure. Very much so. It's it's the grain elevator policies that, that are in place that are, that drive us crazy, is what they do. Roger and I have worked you know, uh, white commercial, we work with grain elevators all across the country and, and, um, we help them in a lot of time, a lot of times set policies, uh, or tweak the policies they have or burn them with fire, <laughs> whatever that the case. last option usually is the best route. Yes. And, and that's what, those policies that, that, uh, that, that happens with is what we're going to talk about today. It happens to be that if you really look at the reasons why elevators do what they do when it comes to both buying grain and value in their space and how they recognize the value of their space, there's really only three reasons. I think you can condense it down to three reasons why they do what they do. One is inertia, plain and simple, is what we've always done, and that's as much thought goes into it. And that's the, probably the top reason. Probably the top reason. Second is... Because competition forces us to do it, whether that's true or not, that's the perception, and so perception is reality. And lastly is because it makes sense, which is the preference, but not always the top of the list. What I mean by makes sense is that the policies enacted at the elevator for buying and carrying grain and and how that relates to um, value are set, and then it makes sense in that the full value of those of that bin space is realized, or at least as close to that value as you can get is realized, which is kind of the goal of this whole business, I think. Well, I think a lot of these poor policies, the how they're originally created, like you said, most of them are just inertia from years or decades and decades or generations of not changing their policy. Um, <clears throat> it's a, uh, they're created without an an emphasis or a, or a concentration on what do we do? Why are we here? Well, how do we make our money? And a lot of policies get set um, with, without that in mind. And you know, if if they are decades and decades old, back to the you know seventies or eighties and government storage and pick programs and on and on. There's a very good chance that when those were created, basis trading was not how that facility, that company made money. And, uh, and so they were created accordingly because how they made money was off of fees, off farmers. Right. And, and, you know, if, if elevators applied that same thought process to, say, equipment, oh, we're not going to update anything from the 80s with the same leg and say, you know, that's, that's not good for your business either. Things have to be updated and and kept in accordance with what you're trying to accomplish. And these old policies just don't, uh, don't really cut the mustard. So how do elevators make money? 
Roger. I'm just charging too much for discounts and fees. What? How do they make money by char- overcharging <laughs> oh, people? Oh, oh, sorry. That's the com- misconception oh. out there. So the two ways that elevators should realize the value of their space, one is obviously our favorite, basis trading, making margins from the basis movement, return to space. And secondly, if you can't do that, probably because of a combination of uh, origination issues and poor policies, then it's it is it's through fees and charges, not discounts. That's a separate blending. thing. But well, yeah, you pick up some on blending, but the the fee thing is huge. And generally, if you're relying on fees and you don't have updated policies, you're really behind the eight ball. And what the surprising thing is that so many companies out here are still in existence. They get by. They they pay the light bill. They, they keep existing, but that's it. They're not growing. They're not thriving. They're not developing. They're not expanding their business. They're just keeping on, a, even, on an even kill, I guess, uh, which will run out eventually. Uh, but they don't see the, the need to change and don't understand how it impacts the bottom line. And, you know, like you've said before, it's kind of a case where the merchandising manager, oh, we made 14 cents a bushel this year. That's great. Well, your market, you should be making 38 cents a bushel. But the the own, owners or the board or whoever doesn't realize that, so this guy's still making money, so it's good. And we're not getting into the realm of, or don't mistake us for getting into the realm of having the perfect merchandising plan out there. We're talking about having an, an ideal starting point to be able to make the most margin you can out of any set of grain values. And that's that's where it comes into play. Yeah. You may not do some of these policies exactly this way at your facility, but you may may do some degree of it. Um, and maybe it just it can cause you to rethink, hey, why do we really do that? Which is a question you need to ask yourself if you're running a company every so often. Hey, is this still working? Is this a thing that makes sense to do? So uh, let's share a few with you guys. Excellent. Okay. So first thing. Uh, I would say is uh, let's just go with the the free pr- storage or price later at the wrong time. What do I mean by that? Well, some of you probably do and or, or know of elevators that offer at given points throughout the year either free storage or free price later. And if you think about it, what's the reason? Why would you offer free use of space essentially? So I can be cheaper than my competitors. So you can be cheaper than your competitor to get the bushels to you. Yeah. That's the idea. I'm, I'm using this mechanism to bring bushels to me because for whatever reason, price hasn't done it. My origination program hasn't done it. Nothing else works. I'll do this. I think yeah. that's the reason why. Right. If there's thought into it, that, that's the reason why. I've got free free use of my space is essentially the signal the elevator's putting out for this. So what do we mean by at the wrong time? I think there's a couple of reasons you can say, or a couple of times you can say it's the wrong time. One would be, at the time of greatest demand on space, which is harvest. Harvest. There is absolutely in a year that's the caveat. In a year that's normal yields, or even below normal, but you're still going to fill up. To offer free f- storage or free price later is not sound merchandising policy. Right, and so at at a what is what is your space worth and trying to 
get what you can out of that basis and spreads in your market. Everybody's different, but, um, you know, say it's worth 30 cents. If you buy grain at harvest time basis and spreads after all your costs, you can net 30 cents maybe. Well, so a lot of people will charge accordingly with minimums to the end of the year or try to, um, to recoup some of that, uh, if they can, oh, as close to all of it as possible, but, but, uh, due to competitive reasons and all that, uh, they, they can't always, but we had a situation where now on the river, on the Mississippi river, they normally do. Cause the big guys, it, it kind of goes, goes downhill. If the big guys are doing it, um, the large companies, they, then you can get away with, Hey, that's just what the river's charging, you know, and they're, Fees are going to be the difference between my cash price today and my January bid. So it could it fluctuate from day to day, possibly. Um, <clears throat> but this last year, for instance, it, it got up over 50 cents at one point, minimum to the end of the year, if you put it on price later. And, um, and that was really good. But we had guys within 30 miles of the river uh, down uh, West Tennessee, a new player in the market that was giving free price later until I believe it was March. Yeah. It was nuts. So this is, um, you know, it's another one of those things. Okay. For competitiveness, you want to do free price later. Well, you could, everybody else is charging 50 cents. You don't have to go to zero, you know, (laughs) let's try 45, but that's not, that's not what happened. But, um, what it does is it gets you behind because those price later fees are charging what, the basis is about to improve and spread carry spreads. They're about to go against you. That's what those charges are supposed to recoup. Um, and if you're not charging it, you're one, you're either not getting the full value out of your space or two, if you're using this as a way to make space and you're actually selling this stuff down the river or, or to whoever and uh, shorting the basis at harvest time, you're shorting the lowest basis of the year that, that, 40 cents or whatever it is, is what you're about to lose on those bushels if you sell it at the lowest point of basis and buy it in later from the farmer. So you're actually about to lose that if you charge nothing. Man. Yeah. And in many markets, uh, and this applies for sure to corn, I'd say mostly to wheat and in in a lot of places, beans too. The biggest pop or the biggest post-harvest movement in basis happens within the first 30 to 45 days after harvest correct almost everywhere that that's the case there'd be years where it doesn't but you know generally it happens in so when i hear places that are offering free free price later on on corn bushels you know through the end of the year from harvest and they're taking stuff in say october they're 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 essentially saying my space is worth zero and i'm giving up it's actually negative value because at that point you're giving up the biggest portion of that basis pop and what this does, when, when uh, these merchandisers miss this opportunity to, to gain that, and then they look and say, okay, well, if I should be able to make 30 cents in this market, now I've got ownership in January, and now I expect basis and spreads to pay me 30 cents from January through, say, June or something. Oh, if you look at most basis curves for, for most markets, it, basis flattens out. It still falls the spreads, but it flattens out dramatically after the first of the year in a lot of places. The basis pop has improved. Now you're just relying pretty much on whatever the spreads will pay you over and above your cost, plus maybe some basis gain until you get to transition. I mean, it's 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 
it's a money losing deal almost every time. So harvest for sure is a bad time to do that. Uh, the other bad time to do that is, well, anytime there's carry in the market, generally, uh, to give away your space when there's carries, when you could at least be getting that carry spread over and above your cost if basis isn't doing anything. You know, so when we have, or when we used to have inverted bean markets in the summer, free DP makes sense. It makes sense. You know, the base is going to follow spreads down. So you sell, you go short, short to basis before the inversions happen. And you let the farmers price them whenever they want. And you're probably going to come out ahead. And that's an easy math equation to see what kind of, you know, depending on when the farmer sells, what your basis equivalency will be that you're buying at. But that's a good time to offer that. Yeah, you get short the basis was in with inversions. You pick those up just like you do when you're carrying grain mm-hmm. with carry markets, and uh, and that again that it kind of goes back to the principle of how do we make our money off of basis and basis changes and spreads, and so there yeah there are definitely times of the year where it makes sense to do it, but but there are really bad times. I want to get into another policy along the lines of price later if we're talking about summertime is. Setting deadlines for when your price later bushels has mm-hmm. to be priced. I get it. Uh, I, I get why some people do put deadlines on it. They want to, you know, get things done. But um, but the, the crazy thing is people will put the price later deadline at a time when basis is strong. Say, hey, July 31st, you got to be done with price later. And if you're not, we're going to price you out. Well, when do farmers always set their set their prices when there's a deadline on the deadline on the deadline and uh so and if you can get a hold of them and if not then it's the awkward thing of hey we had to price you out that's what we had said before you know i I run into people all the time it's like hey we are our deadline for price later is july 31st or because that's our year end well what's happened july 31st well it's summertime and maybe you've had carry all year maybe there's you know basis is strong because the crops getting you know tighter and all that stuff in the summer i mean some of your best basis of the year if again if our goal is to buy low basis and sell high basis why would we put a deadline when the basis is going to be high we're going to buy that at, at the deadline probably or a good chunk uh so that's that's uh that's that's a terrible idea. Yeah, and and you 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 point that out to some folks, and it's kind of like, oh well, I guess it wouldn't hurt if we pushed that to October. Yeah, no, it wouldn't hurt. It'd probably be actually beneficial. This this raises a whole question: well, how long should you allow price later go? And again, that's something for everybody to determine for themselves. You, you you can put a cap on it. You can let it go till Jesus comes back. I mean, it's somewhere anywhere in between. But if you like, Jason said, if you're gonna put it somewhere a deadline somewhere that they have to get out of it make it work don't make it something i would say arbitrary yeah it's your year in but that's kind of arbitrary what's why is year in you know yeah you got to explain to your accountant some things but you know as far as merchant you know the old saying don't let your accountant do your merchandising yeah this applies here greatly which is a big one also and the reason why a lot of these deadlines get set like that is because hey that's our um fiscal year in Mm-hmm. Guys, set things. Hey, August thirty first or July thirty first is our fiscal year, and so we want everybody to price it so we can sell everything out and be done with it. Man, that hurts. That's tough hurts my my heart to hear people say things like that. But <laughs> I, I'm an advocate personally um, of 
never having a cap on on price later go for unless i mean maybe if it's free price later that you start in the summertime and like hey if you want to keep it going at harvest you're gonna have to re-up with whatever our price later fees are right and a lot of folks do that yeah and that's fine but but you know if they've if they've had i mean you've sold the grain probably and you're holding the money and they still don't want it and they they want to keep going especially i mean you know, if if you've gone through a couple inverses with with some price later bushels, they'll just about they they can never catch up as far basis wise. They may do great price wise, yeah, which you is what they're morale, like beans did a few years ago, and it goes to seventeen dollar cash. Well, yeah, that was hey, it worked out great holding those beans two years. You you picked up money, but as a merchandiser, so did I, because I did what the market was telling me to do. And they did what the market was telling them to do. You know, the simple answer to this is someone said, well, hey, how should I set my What's the solution? How should I set my price later fees? No, one, know the value of your space in your market. And if it if you're in a corn market and the value of your space from harvest through summer is 40 cents, then you need to divide those months by 40 and that's how much you charge per month. Or if you've got a group of guys that always price later and say they always price in February, it's just habit, it's just how they do. We're creatures of habit, we're humans. Then you take your value or space up to that time and divide it by that many months from harvest to February, and that's your charge. It's a fair charge, but just understand why you're charging it and how to arrive at those values. And I think elevators tend to have a, where we fall back on, well, let's do five cents a month because it sounds good. It's kind of like producers want to sell $4 of corn because it's a nice round number. Well, we want to charge five cents a month because it's a nice round number. I think it takes a little more thought into it that maybe your number is five, but you know, verify yeah. that it is. And well, maybe you do it and you, you say, well, I need to charge five cents or six cents or whatever, you know, it, it is. But then you say, man, my competitors are charging three and a half cents. I, I can't, I can't be that far out of the market and, and this, that, and the other. And, and, uh, so we, it, it's a, it's a race to the bottom and it's, it's a sad one that, um, they, you see in different parts of the country where guys are like, they tap to the point where they tout it. They're like, you know, because we've had the same storage rate since 1972 and we haven't changed it. It's one and three quarters a cent and uh, prorated per day. And it's, it's the best you're going to find anywhere around. Well, what are you really communicating? If your grain origination program is about how cheap your storage is, um, it's completely the wrong message because, and we've said before, the elevators that do the best have the best margins and are most profitable are ones who get ownership at harvest time. If you have an elevator with a bunch of storage because you're the best storage in town and the farmers are like, Hey, that's this guy's game is he's the storage King of the Midwest, <laughs> man, that is not good. Uh, Cause you're not making money at, at if you're the, the cheapest storage in town, I can guarantee you you're not making the money you should be making. And you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's the disease of, of, uh, the, the, we had these massive wheat carries for years and out West, you'd go out West, you'd see piles. People were making unbelievable, I mean, 2 million bushel piles of wheat and, and, uh, and stuff out there. And you're thinking, golly, these guys must be cleaning up. The, the carries are huge over a dollar a year. Mm-hmm. They're picking up just in the carries. Mm-hmm. And it's like, these guys got to be making a fortune. And then you, you go in and you talk to them. It's no, also, no, it's unpriced, unpriced on storage. And hey, just so you know, we only charge a penny and a half a month. 
Uh, we're the best. We're the best in the four county area. Well, congratulations! You also have the biggest pile that you're not making any money on. Because we all know once you pile it on the ground, it gets a lot cheaper to take care of. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is what happened. So so they do this. So not only in in the prices didn't get any better. So the, the farmers are storing and losing money month by month, day by day, because they're having to pay these fees. Sure, they're not as expensive as they could be, but they're paying fees. Right. The price is not going up. And meanwhile, the the elevator who could be making a fortune, at least on the spreads, is making nothing. It's a tragedy. And it's the greatest tragedy in grain business. All today. the you know, this is all, all the margin and all the money that could be made in agriculture in that area is just e- evaporating into thin air. And this was the whole the whole impetus behind Don White creating our company was if you could just have somebody at the elevator level that understood these basic skills of how we make money through basis trading, it would keep all sorts of money in the community. That money is gone. Years of money, and millions and millions of dollars. This happens in the markets that are the most transparent in the world. And that's just it. It's it's We have perfectly fine mechanisms in place to make both producer and elevator profitable. Every year, that is that opportunity presents itself. It may be short-lived, it may be long-lived, but it happens for every season at some point in time. It's the improper use of these mechanisms, what results in what we have now, where you have calls for you know, new things happening and all this stuff. We'll just, if we just use the tools we had properly right now, we'd, we'd be a lot better off. You know, back to your thing about the wheat, I would contend that you can drive around, let's just say West Kansas, you could drive around West Kansas going to some of these small towns in wheat country. And just by looking, driving through Main Street and seeing how the businesses are doing, things like that, you can probably tell if the elevator in town has good, solid policies that help them and the farmer or not. If it's a junky town and there's no car dealerships and everything's falling apart and and they don't even have a red box, you just count that they got cheap storage at the elevator. Try it. You can drive That's around true. and see. You can, there's a direct benefit to the rural economy, that local economy, by the elevator doing what it's supposed to do and getting the producers to do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. If, you're, if your grain origination program is centered around things other than trying to help the farmer sell ahead and getting harvest ownership, you're doing the wrong thing for your business. And ultimately, the 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 farmer is getting, you know, seduced by low storage prices, thinking he's getting ahead by paying low storage prices. And we all know that that's just not mm-hmm. true. Especially in the carry market. You have to yeah. sell the carry to, to take advantage of it. And right. In this example you portrayed, neither the elevator nor the farmer is selling anything, so they don't get any of the carry. Yeah. That was there for both of them to have. And it's not like some guy in some big ivory tower in Chicago is making that money. Right. Nobody's it's making just, the money. It never gets made. It's gone. It's crazy. Um. So let's uh, let's let's keep moving. We have this is near and dear to our heart. These uh, these policies, but but let's uh, let's let's roll through a few more. Some now some of these are we've been talking origination policies, but other just general elevator policies uh, that I see. A lot of this happens at small co-ops that twenty seven years ago some manager got a futures account and uh, and shorted some options by mistake and lost. $4,000 and they said, well, we're putting a, a policy in that no one can ever have a futures or options account at this place because it's, it's bad news. And, uh, so 
<laughs> you have you have policies like that we run into all the time. Oh, it's, it's against our policy to have a futures account. So you're not allowed to hedge and, and get rid of price risk at your place. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, or the perception is that it's there. And then, and, you know, it's been enough generations removed or someone on the board finds the the uh, bylaws and reads like, oh, no, it doesn't really say that. Someone just had a bad taste in their mouth about it. So Yeah, or my brother-in-law, who was a farmer and had nothing <laughs> to do with this place, got a futures account one time and got sideways on some cocoa and... <laughs> and, and I don't want I don't want our company doing this. Randy Randy must have some deep feelings on cocoa market over there. Cocoa he's, beans, man. He's got his Look head out. down. Anyways, um, so that that's a policy we see, and and it prevents uh prevents I mean basis opportunity. You have to have a futures account uh to really to capture it effectively. Um, so that's one. Then uh just pricing policies. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just. Uh, it, what do you mean by pricing policies? Well, farmer comes in, wants to spot bushels or, or trying to sell. And how do you, how do you quote them a price? Uh, and QBFS. again, <laughs> the, <laughs> that's right. Uh, <laughs> quotes in a box from space. Uh, that's an old sponsor of ours. Uh, we still appreciate them though. Yeah. Um, anyways, no. So, <laughs> so you, um, Maybe have this is another deal with inertia. I had an old policy from back when corn moved two and a half cents every other week combined. You know, uh, so it's just you know, yeah, you want to sell it, fine. Let uh, I'll buy it, and and we every day at one fifteen central we uh, update our prices based on what the market did today, and that's our price till tomorrow when the market closes, and that's it. And uh, so you see stuff like that. And I mean, all, all over the board as far as when the market's not open, how do you price it? When the market is open, do you go off yesterday's close and it, craziness? Um, and it, it adds a lot of risk to your business if you're not on, on top of sure. that because everybody's like, one thing I hear is, oh, you know, over time, it'll, some days it's up, some days it's down, and over time it all evens out. Well, if I'm a farmer and I'm selling you grain and you got yesterday's price and I know the market's up 12 cents today, I'm going to wait till you put up your new price next afternoon. And if it's the other way, you can bet I'm selling the pants off all this, <laughs> all this grain I got. Yeah. A little arbitrage action, which, Hey, I can't blame them for it. That's again, that's the signal you're sending as Correct. the buyer. Hey, here's the parameters play away. That yeah. is it. So it's not the, Hey, I'll make some and I'll lose some. No, you'll just lose. You'll just lose yeah. every time. Lose every time. No, another part of that, of the pricing policy is, you know, after hours, which maybe isn't as big a deal at harvest because you you know you're hedging constantly and after a market closes you're probably still at the elevator at seven o'clock when the night session is open you get your hedges back on but you have to make the decision or like over the weekends what do you do do you pre-hedge on Friday and try to guess what you'll buy do you do you talk with your producers about putting weekend contracts on for them whatever they think they'll bring in uh, because there's there's risk someone's going to come out probably upside down on Monday morning with that type of policy. And we got people that do all up. Some are fine with that risk, some aren't. Uh, and then you got to think about pricing outside of harvest. Take wheat contracts, for instance, uh, KC wheat. Okay. If you got a guy, guy's got one load he wants to price out in April from last year's out on storage and you're balanced up going into it, what do you do? Do you sell 5,000 bushels? Do you... Hang on to that thousand till you get twenty five hundred to hedge. What do you do? 
Do you price it out of heart, outside of market hours? What do you do? Whatever it is, you know, examining your policies, your pricing policies, hedging policies, if you will, is a great routine to do every year. Yeah. With the focus on we make money trading basis, not having price risk in the business. Yes. And try to manage it as best as possible as possible and being fair and, you know, good to your customers and, and trying to take care of them as best you can. Uh, I get all that. Um, I think probably the best way is uh, some people do pre-hedging when they're, they feel really good that they're going to buy a lot and try not to do very much of that. Mm-hmm. But they, uh, you know, they always want to err on the side of less than probably. But uh, once you get past that pre-hedge or if you didn't pre-hedge as soon as the market closes, Hey, it closed at this. I will put you a, I can put you a target in and it'll open back right. up, you know, tonight or Sunday night if, if it's the weekend and we can, we can try to get you there. And if you're, if you're transparent communication with your customers and what you're doing and why you're doing it, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, 07, I remember we started seeing a lot of you know volatility in, in the market and, and we changed our pricing policy. The elevator to only price while the market's open. Um, even during harvest, it was pricing during the market open. And I would tell guys, look, at harvest, you bring stuff in, you want to sell it on the weekends, we'll market. We just won't sign a price until I get the hedge on Sunday night or Monday morning, whatever. Fine with it. It was essentially a basis-only contract. But it, it, it was fine. No one got all huffy up in arms about it. You know, if it was down Monday, so be it. Or they could leave it on basis contract if they wanted to and price it later. But we all agreed, me and the producers agreed, we didn't want that risk of the unknown. So we just eliminated it. Great. Yeah. And we have customers that are, feel very strongly that if it, if I'm a grain elevator, I'm market for grain all the time. I'm never going to tell somebody we have to put a target or we can't buy it. I've got a price at all times. And I understand that. And, uh, you know, it's your business. You, you have to to uh, decide what's best for you. But some people will say, hey, you know, hey, it closed at 422. So that's my price until it opens again. And in that case, you do half the time you'll make, half the time you'll lose a little bit, but it's worth it to that person to say, I'm always going to have a price for you and I'll commit. If somebody else doesn't want to commit to you, I don't care. I'll, I'll buy your grain. Um, and, and that's another, that's another policy where, Hey, it's because I'm buying grain. I'm going to buy it and, you know, own harvest bushels and, mm-hmm. and all that. So that's good. One other policy I wanted to, um, just general grain company policy, not necessarily buying policy or not about buying policy is um, how guys structure incentive programs for employees at grain companies. Um, I've seen some really strange ones over the years. And, you know, obviously it comes from a place. A lot of times it's at, it's a board that doesn't really understand merchandising and they're trying to set policies to incentivize their employees. So it comes from the right place you know they're trying to do it right but they don't always have the the best understanding or um or they've got this guy on the on the board that's also on the board at the bank and he's not really that into agriculture but it's he's good to have on the board and he knows you know ratios and percentages and stuff so let's let's make a real convoluted incentive program because he's really smart uh based on percentages and and uh it it becomes comical at times kind of like tariffs yeah, I've seen one where um, the manager was incentivized based on uh, per so the percent margin as a percent of uh, total sales and all that. So 
his deal was he could basically his bonus was since it was all based on percent and not total revenues or total margin. Um, it, he could sell one truckload of beans and make a dollar fifty on it and get a bigger bonus than if he sold a million bushels of beans for a dollar and made a dollar on them. I mean, that, that was his, <laughs> and he knew it. I mean, obviously he didn't take it too extreme, but he could have, and he made his merchandiser bid with a gigantic back-to-back margin where they didn't get hardly any bushels <laughs> because of it, but he didn't care because that's not how I'm incentivized, you know, so. All runoff incentives, man. Um, so you see that, and you see uh, a big thing is on origination stuff. Guys are like, you know, you get this much per bushel or mm-hmm. whatever, yeah. And if you if you don't give parameters to them on what they can pay, hey, man, I can buy a lot of bushels. We're smart. We'll, humans will figure it out, man. <laughs> That's right. We'll get to that cheese as quick as we can through the maze. Yeah, so so the some of these policies will actually end up hurting hurting the company as a whole, even though they came from a place where hey, more bushels is good, or or more margin per bushel is good. But if you if you structure them wrong, you bad think, policies. You would think people <laughs> would would see past uh, some of that stuff, but it, you'd be shocked yeah, to see some gets, of that. Uh, yeah, kind of get nose blind to it. Anyway, we can go into this a, a lot more than we have. Obviously, we're pretty passionate about it, but our time is up. Randy is is faunching for us to. He's faunching, right? Yeah, he's faunching for us to get off here. So, uh, if you're asking me if if that's the correct word, I have no idea. That's the first time I've ever heard that word. I think you're welcome. Randy nods. He's good. Uh, Faunch away. So we're gonna wrap it up for today, and we'll pick back up. Uh, we'll probably talk about this topic again. I'm sure it, it, it is pretty popular every year with our customers and just folks in the industry. So I'm sure this won't be the last time you hear about bad policies. All right. So for Roger, I'm Jason. For Jason, I'm Roger. Thank you for listening to The Elevator's Cut. Out. Out.